We work hard at being healthier. And what we really need is better quality sleep. The new Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed intelligently senses your movements and automatically adjusts your comfort and support on both sides. This is not a bed. It's proven quality sleep. It's the biggest sale of the year where all beds are on sale. Save 50% on the new Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed, plus special financing only for a limited time. To find your local Sleep Number store, go to sleepnumber.com. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details. This podcast is part of the Bomb Pod Media Network. They're staying in the shadows. It's called probing. Make sure things are all clear. Clear for what? For the rest of the world. You guys hear that? Welcome to the show, everybody. I am your host, Tony Merkel, and I am really glad that you're here, and I'm really glad to be here. If you heard that drop in the beginning of the show, Bomb Pod Media Network, that is a network that we recently joined. It's going to be a great network for us to be listed with other podcasts that have great audio quality and production quality. That's one of the requirements about being on this network. You have to be able to produce a good show, and the quality of the audio has to be superb. So go ahead and check it out, bombpodmedia.com. Check the other shows out that are listed and give them a listen and a subscribe. If you had an encounter or a story you'd like to share with me, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. That's theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. Or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit the connection section, and you can reach me that way as well. Tonight, we're going to start things off with Peter. Peter organizes a Bigfoot conference in the state of New York. I brought him on to talk about it a little bit. So let's get to Peter and hear what he has to say about his Bigfoot conference called Chautauqua Lake Bigfoot Expo. Okay, I have Peter Weimer coming on tonight just to talk a little bit about his Bigfoot Expo. It's called Chautauqua Lake Bigfoot Expo. Peter, how are you? Good, Tony. How are you today? I'm doing good, man. I'm really digging this whole uh, expo you have going on up at the lake and stuff. You want to you know, share with us what it's all about and when did it start, actually? When did you start doing this? We, ha- <clears throat> we had our first Chautauqua Lake Bigfoot Expo in 2012. On October 13th and 14th, we're going to have our sixth annual Chautauqua Lake Bigfoot Expo. We had Bob Gimlin come in in 2013, along with Larry Batson, Melissa Hovey, um, Billy, um, poor Peter's got a mind block, but Larry Batson was instrumental in, in helping me have a Bigfoot Expo. I I had done sport travel and outdoor shows for the last 27 years 
promoting our cottage resort here on Chautauqua Lake known as We Want You Cottages as a travel destination. And Larry Batson, who is a famous Bigfoot aficionado, was doing the Rattlesnake Roundup, an educational wildlife show at these sport travel and outdoor shows. He'd get four or 500 people at his show every day, two, three times a day. And we became real good friends. And Larry was a Bigfoot aficionado, sold these cassette tapes, got me interested. I approached Larry the year before in about 2011, 2010, to help me set up a Bigfoot Expo. And he was instrumental. And he came 2012 and 2013 when Bob Gimlin came. And ever since then, it's been a, a, a great event here in the Chautauqua Lake, Western New York region. We're located between Buffalo and Erie, PA. And uh, it's a beautiful freshwater inland lake that we happen to have a tourism business on and I happen to be involved in special events in the area and I created the Chautauqua Lake Bigfoot Expo. That's really cool, man. Now, when it comes to this whole uh, Bigfoot Expo up in that area, is there a history of Bigfoot sightings within that general area? Well, unbeknownst to me, there wasn't. But once I created this event and I advertised in the Penny Saver and a couple of newspapers, I all, I all of a sudden became the magnet for anybody that has seen a Bigfoot. And I'm up to 29 eyewitnesses from Chautauqua County that have contacted me resolving themselves and knowing they've seen a Bigfoot but didn't want to admit it publicly for fear of ridicule. Eight from Cattaraugus County right next door and more than a dozen from Warren County to the south of us where the Allegheny National Forest and 505,000 acres are. They see them down there all the time. Absolutely. Out of the 20... Out of the 29 eyewitnesses here in Chautauqua County, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing there's two dozen Bigfoots in Chautauqua County because they've seen little ones, they've seen big ones, they've seen them at all corners of the county, that there's no way there's a migration. I believe there's little families, they've got it figured out, they're either hiding in the swamps in, uh, in Chautauqua County and foraging in the woods at night, there's a couple of beautiful gorges here, um, Grand Canyons, if you want to call them. Chautauqua County, Chautauqua Lake, the water runs into the Mississippi and into the Gulf of Mexico. Five miles away from me, about a mile north of Chautauqua Lake, the water runs into Lake Erie and into the Atlantic. And the, when the icebergs receded, they cut out these huge gorges leading into Lake Erie. And those are perfect low areas. And, and some of the sightings were seen in those gorges of Bigfoots. And that's perfect low areas for them to hide because nobody's like hiking in the gorge all that often, let alone climbing up the cliff, looking in, in caves. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you're not far from Pennsylvania there and where the Allegheny National Forest is. And, you know, just to let everybody know, Bigfoot doesn't know state lines. You know, they do cross over. So <laughs> They do. You know, though uh, the Allegheny National Forest is really known for its sightings, you're not that far away from there at all. And uh, so with this Bigfoot Expo going on, who do you have on the docket this year for speakers? We got Doug Waller 
who is from Ohio, and the uh, uh, southeastern Ohio. Um, poor Peter. I'm going to have to literally get to my own website. Southeastern here, Ohio Society for Bigfoot Investigation. Yeah, and Doug's been coming now for three or four years. He's he's a great speaker. He's he has written some books, and uh, he's going to be talking about the the sightings in Ohio and some of his experiences in talking to witnesses. And he's 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 a great Bigfoot speaker. Paul Matea is from New York State here. His uh, real job, he's the computer guru for the Catholic Diocese up in Bu- in Buffalo. But he also happens to be a BFRO uh, investigator, and he does expeditions, and he does uh, field investigations here in Chautauqua County. And he's going to be speaking about uh, sightings in Chautauqua County as well as around that Allegheny National Forest. Then we also have Tony Merkel. Oh, me, okay. Truly. (laughs) You're going to be here, Tony. Tony's going to be speaking about sightings in Pennsylvania and his experience with Bigfoot. And uh, we're really looking forward to having having you, Tony, and, uh, you know, explaining to the people about the reality of Bigfoot there in Pennsylvania, just as I myself will be speaking about sightings that have been told to me here in Chautauqua County. And then after the four of us speak, we're going to do a town hall meeting where we're hopeful some of the local eyewitnesses that have spoken before or haven't spoken at all will tell the attendees about their eyewitness sighting. And we encourage people. I did a, a Bigfoot seminar at the Olean Public Library about, about three weeks ago on August 28th. And it was well attended, standing room only. In fact, the mayor of Olean was in attendance, unbeknownst to me. I spoke with the Olean uh, newspaper reporter afterwards. And when I read about it the next day, the mayor was asked if he was a believer. And he, because after what he had heard from me, after what he had heard from some of the elderly eyewitnesses that were in the room, normally I would say at any of my seminars, it's 70 old and 30% young people. This night it was 90% old and 10% young people. And the old people told the other old people how real Bigfoots were. And now those other maybe skeptical believers are more believing because they know that these other old people aren't crazy. Yeah, so it sounds like the elders are starting to kind of come out and talk about things that maybe they've been holding in their whole lives. That that really sounds cool. It does. One of the eyewitnesses that told me was an old lady that called me up on a Sunday a week before the first expo and asked me questions about the upcoming town hall meeting, the upcoming expedition, the upcoming expo. Finally, after four minutes, I asked her if she had seen a Bigfoot. She said, well, four of us have. Four of us have. She says, my husband was driving, and myself and our two kids and I were in the back seat of the car. It was 1983. We were only doing 30, 35 miles per hour, she said, and we were over by Finley Lake. And we all saw it. It was 
we all saw it from the navel to the top of its head. She said she was surprised the car didn't hit it and that it was eight or nine feet tall and had all long black hair. I asked her if she'd be willing to come in for an audio or video testimony, and she said, no, we all wish to remain anonymous. She and her husband came to the town hall meeting, didn't testify. She and her husband came to the expo, didn't testify. What I didn't realize until the end of the day is that they went around from table to table, whisper, whisper, whispering, rectifying themselves to the other eyewitnesses that spoke up or the other eyewitnesses that didn't speak up. They got closure after 29 years. 29 years of, of not knowing until I created the Chautauqua Lake Bigfoot Expo and they had heard about it and they came to it and they got closure. And I think that's happened dozens of times to other people that have not spoken to me and a few that have spoken to me. Wow, that's amazing. That's really good to hear. It is. It's, it's, it it's is. good to get it out of your system sometimes and just get that closure. And uh, it sounds like there's some things brewing up there with your community of people and starting to come around to the idea of Bigfoot actually existing within the community. That's really cool. So uh, when it comes to the expo, uh, again, the name is Chautauqua Lake Bigfoot Expo. You can go to Chautauqua, Chautauqua Lake Bigfoot Expo.com. That's spelled C-H-A-U-T-A-U-Q-U-A Lake Bigfoot Expo.com. And uh, you can check it out there. Peter, where can people go ahead and get information about attending this event? Right on that website will be a, a pre-sale mail order ticket form as well as a video release form because we can't sell you a ticket without the video release because we plan on videotaping people there and we don't want to have to arm wrestle anybody to be a, allowed to. So we've been pretty successful. Most people don't care. They, uh, they, they sign the release. They get their ticket in the mail. And it's a very good event because the next closest event into us, I mean, they, they got an event coming up in the Allegheny National Park um, September 23rd weekend, and we plan to also try to make that. And uh, But otherwise, there's very few opportunities to, uh, to go and speak or hear about people that have seen a Bigfoot in our area. Um, our Facebook page, Chautauqua Lake Bigfoot Expo, has a lot of these other events posted on there, uh, a lot of great pictures and and information is at our Facebook page. On our website page, Chautauqua Lake Bigfoot Expo, we have Steve Culls, which was a staple here for five years. He's a Bigfoot researcher from the Adirondacks. And one of, the, one, one, one of his video sessions, about 10, 12 minutes, is right on that home page. He explains the history of Bigfoots around the world and in New York State here, which is pretty compelling. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. Well, you know, Peter, I really appreciate you coming on here and sharing that info. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to coming out and actually uh, to let you know and let everybody else know, I'm really looking forward to the drive out there now. It's going to be about a six-hour drive for me, but uh, my brother is coming with me and we're going to be getting up really early Friday morning. We're going to start driving because 
there's a certain location in Pennsylvania that I have been given coordinates to that I need to check out. And since I'll be passing through the area, uh, I might have some new information for the people there at the expo uh, when I arrive, possibly. I was given coordinates about a year ago. Uh, a guy was hiking through the woods with his wife. They stopped in a cave to have some lunch. When he moved a log to sit down on for his wife, they f- this is what he tells me, that they found a fossilized footprint in rock. And he said it was, oh, about, wow. he said it was about 19 inches long. And he gave me the coordinates to find it. And so we'll be hiking in there and checking it out. And hopefully I find it. And maybe I'll have some good pictures and video for you guys at the expo. That'd be awesome, Tony. That's awesome. Hey, just in case, that's the 14th. On the 13th, Friday the 13th, October 13th, is the Chautauqua Lake Bigfoot Monster Movie Night. Seth Breedlove is going to be there. He's going to have his small town monsters uh, arena of movies that we're going to show, as well as our movie, I've Seen Bigfoot. We're going to have a lakefront bonfire. It's going to be a blast. And the movie night's only $10 adults and $5 kids. That's great. I'm glad you said that. And I almost forgot to say that, Tony. And we appreciate you coming for the expo on Saturday as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll be there Friday night. I'll be there Saturday. I look forward to meeting people and shaking hands and kissing babies. So, (laughs) You know, buddy. Peter, thanks for coming on. We'll be electing you president before you know it, Tony. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I want that job. It sounds stressful. All right, man. Okay, sir. Thank you. I really appreciate it. You bet, buddy. Bye-bye. Well, I'd like to say thank you to Peter for coming on and talking about the Chautauqua Lake Bigfoot Expo. If you're within a few hours from there, I'd highly recommend you coming out that weekend and meeting me, meet the other speakers, hear what we have to say, and just enjoy the weekend. It's going to be a very laid-back environment. It's going to be a lot of fun. So definitely make plans to have a Bigfoot weekend coming up here in October. This week's show, we have Mike coming on, and Mike reached out to me to tell me he saw multiple UFOs on multiple occasions, not very far from Wright-Patt Air Force Base. If you know anything about Wright-Patt Air Force Base, you know the controversy surrounding it with extraterrestrial crafts. So sit back and relax, and enjoy this interview that I have with Mike right after these messages. Are you on the hunt for strange stuff? Check out Small Town Monsters, an independent film series that's documenting unusual events all around the country. Focusing on small town folklore, Small Town Monsters has told the stories of the Minerva Monster, the Boggy Creek Monster, the Mothman of Point Pleasant, and more. With future films coming out in 2017 and 2018, Small Town Monsters is a fascinating film series for those who love bizarre stories and eyewitness accounts. Check them out now at smalltownmonsters.com. All right, I got Mike on tonight, and Mike contacted me a little bit ago, and uh, he has some UFO experiences to share tonight and a little bit of other stuff. Mike, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Uh, I got your email here, and it looks like back in 1990, you had a UFO encounter uh, near Wright-Pat Air Force Base. Uh, Definitely am interested in hearing about that. And uh, I guess after you share this, we'll start talking a little bit about your Hatman experiences as well. So why don't you walk us into the UFO encounter back in 1990? 
Okay. Um, well, it's actually, um, I may have put 1990. It wasn't actually more like 95, 96. Okay. Uh, it, it was, it was mid late nineties. I can just remember by the kind of car I had oddly enough. Um, but at the time I worked a second shift. Um, I worked from, it was like two to 1130, something like that. And, uh, I lived in a small town about half an hour West of Columbus, Ohio. And I worked in Columbus. And the town I lived in was almost exactly halfway between Columbus and Dayton. And Dayton is where Wright Air Force Base is. Um, so uh, it was summertime. It was probably late August, early September. And for you know, two or three days, maybe out at work, out towards the west, I would see a set of three lights. And they were, they looked like stars. They were just much bigger. Um, and they, and they, they kind of moved around in, in a set pattern. And I talked to some people I worked with and I said, Hey, do you notice these lights? And, you know, they said, Oh yeah, yeah, I noticed them. But the people I worked with were more into hunting and fishing and stuff like that, which is fine. Um, they weren't interested in to lights in the sky, you know? So, um, two or three days went by and, uh, one night I decided, you know, it was time to go home and I thought, and I could go home the interstate, which would take me about 25 minutes, or I could go home the back way uh, through country roads, and it'd take me about 35 or 40 minutes, maybe. So I decided I was, you know, it was a nice night out. It was uh, totally clear. Um, the moon was bright enough that it was actually creating shadows with the trees and the telephone poles and whatnot. I, I don't know if it was a full moon. Um, it may have been three quarters or half a moon, but it was still bright enough that, you know, when you stood outside at night, you would see your shadow on the ground from the moon. Um, no winds, you know, no clouds, beautiful starry, starry night. And so I decided to, to go home the back way and uh, drive in real slow and have my windows down, just enjoying the nice warm breeze. And for some reason, I don't know why, I had this thought, I want to you know, try to get the attention of these lights because they were moving. Um, so uh, to kind of paint a picture for you. Uh, if you're looking out the window of your car, there were three lights and there was one light on the left side of your window um, that would, that would start at the bottom of the, near the horizon and it would loop up and go up in the sky and it would reach a, a certain point and it would loop down and go back down. And it just create, it just kept doing this cycle over and over and over. And the second light went along the horizon left to right actually right to left and it would go along the horizon to the left and it would loop back up like it was going to go back towards the right and it would disappear and about a second and a half two seconds later it would reappear on the right side of, of your windshield up against the horizon and it would loop down and travel along the horizon curve back up disappear pop back up on the right side and it kept repeating that pattern the third light was doing the up and down thing but it was doing it on the right side of your windshield. So you had three lights, two of them going up and down, and one of them going back and forth. And the one going back and forth would travel right to left, loop back up, disappear, appear back on the right side, loop back around. So we, all three of these lights were doing this, the same patterns constantly. So for some reason, I decided that I was going to try to get their attention. So uh, every time I would turn towards the light uh, or, or the lights, I would hit my brights or I would flash my brights. And this went on for probably 20 minutes as I was going home. And I noticed about five minutes from my house, uh, and of course this is all, you know, Ohio farmland. Uh, there's no street lights. 
Um, I went through two towns and one town had a two, two little towns had like a little general store type thing. And only one of them had a stop sign. So, I mean, there's houses around, but it's basically farmland. And I noticed that, uh, about five minutes from my house that the, the light on the right, when it would start to come down, or I'm sorry, when it would start to go up, it would get bigger. And then as I, as I would loop down and start to go down, it would get smaller. And I thought, well, that's kind of strange. So, you know, I kept flashing my lights and I realized that the reason why this light was getting bigger was because this thing was coming towards me. So, you know, this was, you know, back in the nineties, I didn't, you know, there were no cell phones back then, you know, except for maybe a select few. And I know I had cameras. Um, I had a digital camera, but it was at home. I didn't have it in my car. Um, so I decided, um, as this thing, as I was getting closer to my house, this thing was getting closer to me. So I found this little, uh, along the field of this field, there's a little uh, access road, but there's a ditch and there's like a little road that goes crosses the ditch that the farmers would bring their, uh, you know, farm equipment down the street and cross and go into their field. And off to my left, there was a big tree. The tree was probably, you know, 20 feet, 25 feet tall, big, bushy, typical Ohio tree. And, you know, I remember hearing, seeing on the shows and hearing people talk about, you know, uh, when, when a UFO flies over, uh, you know, your, your car turns off, your radio goes out, your lights go out, all that kind of stuff. So I decided I was going to put this to a test. So I pulled my car up into this, this little, uh, this little, uh, driveway type thing. And, um, I flipped my brights on, I left my car running, left the radio on opened the door and got out and just stood there. And I, this thing, I don't know what this thing was, um, but it basically, I, I say flew over top of my car, but there was no noise to it. You know, there was no jet noise. There was no turbine noise. There was no propeller noise. There was no noise at all whatsoever. All you heard was crickets. Um, so this thing flew over top of my, or flew quote unquote, over top of my car and car, it's fine. Nothing happened. The radio stayed playing. Lights stayed on. Everything. Uh, but I got a pretty good look at it. Um, if you can take, if you can imagine like your stereotypical teardrop, that's kind of like bulbous at the bottom and pointing at the top. Lay that on its side and stretch it out a little bit, so it's not quite as, you know, it's a bit more proportion from front to back, but still comes to a point. Um, and then along the side of it. This whatever this was flew over me at such an angle that it had two wings, or what I call wings, and they were probably I would guess I'm guessing a 45 degree angle, maybe 45 60 degree angle swept back from the front, and I could see the what would be its right wing, and I could see it must have banked a little bit or something because I could see the tip of the left wing, um, and it was close enough that I could actually see texture on it, and it was either black, dark gray, or blue, because it was really dark. But the texture it had was very similar to what you would see in a soundproof room with, uh, you know, like the squares that are uh, patterned differently. And they have what looks like those those big, long, um, I don't know what you call it, uh, creases in each square. You know, one square goes up and down, the next square goes left to right. Yeah. You know, it, it just reminded me, you know, it reminded me of a soundproof room. Um. I couldn't see that, you know, of course I couldn't see the top of it, but the tail of it came to what looked like a point and it had no, 
rudder or fins or anything like you would see on an airplane. It just came what looked like to a sharp point. Along the front of each of these wings, there were these round, what I, I could only say were portholes, looked like windows, and they were yellow. And I'm not sure about the left side. I'm assuming it was the same as the right, but the right side had five or six of these little portholes down the very front of the wing. And at the tip of the wing and at the tip of whatever this thing was, it had a yellow, a really pale yellow spotlight. And all three of them were pointing down towards the ground, but they only came down about a third of the way. None of the lights ever hit the ground. And I can't say how, you know, I can't say how high up it was because even though there was a tree to my left, it flew over like the right side of my car. So I had no frame of reference. Um, I, I mean, I could say it was a hundred feet above me. I, I have no idea. Um, don't know how long it was because again, I have no frame of reference, but if you hold your, your arm out, it was probably two and a half, three and a half feet long. You know, from my perspective, you know, that could have been 50 feet. That could have been 500 feet for all I know. But it was close enough that I could see detail on the skin, whatever, you know, whatever this thing was. I could see detail. I could see color. And I could see those, the lights. And it was really weird because the portholes were a brighter yellow than what I call the spotlights. Spotlights weren't moving. They were just uh, shining in, you know, in one direction. And, I, and like I said, it never hit the ground. So this thing kind of like drifts over my car and I watch it go over my car. I'm thinking, what the heck is this? And I watch it go over top of my car. I look back to see what the other two lights are doing. And they're doing their same patterns. One's going up and down, one's going left and right. And I look back and that thing is just totally gone. It's nowhere to be seen in the sky at all whatsoever. From horizon, from left side of the horizon to the right side of horizon, nothing. So I don't know what happened to it. It just, you know, it just, it just drifted, for lack of a better term, over my car. And I turned and looked at the lights. I probably looked at them for probably maybe two seconds, maybe three. Turned back around, and the things just disappeared. And I get back in my car. I drive home back towards the direction of the lights for probably another five, six minutes to my house. And that third light never shows up. I just see the other two lights doing their same, same patterns. Um, you know, I go to bed, go to work the next day. Three lights are back doing their same thing. Uh, the one on the right still going up and down. I try the same thing. I try flashing my lights at it. Nothing happens. Uh, and they, those lights lasted for about another two days. And then the third day, they were just gone. Uh, I never saw them again. Um, what was weird, and I, was, I think I told you in my message to you, is that that direction was the direction of right at Air Force Base. Um, you know, of course, I didn't go out that far, of course, uh, so I can't say they were at right Pat. It was just strange that, uh, you know, they were doing these little maneuvers out in that general direction. I talked to some friends of mine about it at work, and they're like, yeah, you know, some of them go home the interstate, some of them go home the back way. And everybody said, yeah, we saw these lights. They're really weird. But nobody had any, at least they never said anything to me about having any experience with them. So, you know, I didn't know about stealth blimps or anything like that at the time, because like I said, it was mid-late 90s. So maybe that's what it was. I don't know. Um, but I know there was no sound. Um, it didn't have, you know, your typical tail like you would see on an airplane. But it did have, 
wings, although they didn't, they looked pretty thick. They didn't look narrow like you'd see on a regular airplane wing. Um, and I distinctly remember the, the, what I call the portholes and the, uh, the spotlights and the fact that there was just no sound. And as soon as I took my eyes off, eyes off of it for a couple of seconds and turned back around, it was gone. And when I say there was no clouds out, there were, there was no clouds anywhere to be seen. And, you know, the moon was bright. It was casting shadows with the trees. I just don't know where this thing went. It made no noise. I don't know. You know, I, part of me says maybe it just like, uh, you know, what they call it, like on Star Trek when the Romulans cloak, you know, maybe that's what it did. Or maybe it just, I don't know. I have no idea. It was the strangest thing. Yeah, well, that's actually one of the uh, things that I was thinking about when you said that. I was wondering, do you think it actually took off or do you think it was still there and just kind of cloaked itself? Uh Seems like you're not sure either, though. I have no idea. Like, you know, if I would have heard something, I would have thought maybe it just like shot up somewhere and took off. But I heard no noise when it came towards me, when it flew over me, or when I turned around, it was gone. Uh, I have no idea. And ever since that date, and ever since that time until the camera phones came out, I always kept a pair of binoculars and a visual camera in my car, hoping that <laughs> I would see it again. I never did, but it was just bizarre. Well, it's better to be prepared than not. So I would definitely keep that stuff in your car. Uh, I know that just a few years ago, I can't, I can't remember. Probably, I would say probably about ten years ago, uh, I saw that the military was working on technology where they could actually cloak themselves. And I don't know if, you know, I don't know if it made big news or what. But I know what it was is basically they had a camera system set up where they would film the background of whatever. Like, say they had a tank they would be filming the background of what the tank was passing by and they would project it out in front of the tank. So basically making it invisible. And uh, I, I don't know how all that works and stuff, but I mean, I don't know. It sounds logical to me and maybe it's similar technology. I don't know, but the whole idea of cloaking and stuff is just something that's fascinating. Yeah, it was, um, you know, it was just, it was just so strange. And I, I, I saw what you're talking about. I, I read something about that and I also saw, um, where they have um, the the coats, the cloak. I gotta say this correctly. The cloaking coats, where you you put a coat around you, and it kind of bends the light around you, so you can kind of see the person in front of you, can see what's behind you. I mean, you can tell that there's something there. It's not a perfect type of thing, but you know, it's it's really kind of cool. Some of the stuff doing, and, and to a degree, kind of scary too. But well, that sounds amazing. I, I don't I don't think I've ever seen the cloaking coats, but uh... It sounds like it could be handy. Definitely handy. Yeah. Yeah, it was um I I wanna say it was China, I think, that had this, but it was on CNN or MSNBC a couple of years ago. I saw it. I actually had a picture of somebody wearing it and you could see what was behind them. It was wavy because of the of the texture of the coat. But you it, I mean it was pretty impressive. So going back to these lights that you saw in the sky, do you think that I mean, for instance, I think that when the thing went over, hovered over your car, it seems like it was aware of you. Do you agree with that? And also, would you say that these things were aware of you before that point? Or do you think they were oblivious to you till you started flashing your lights? How do you play that whole thing out in your mind? Well, you know, I, I saw him for a couple of days, um, you know, and I don't want to mislead anybody there were other cars around it wasn't like i was out in the middle of absolutely nowhere but 
1130, 1145 at night in the country in Ohio, there's not a lot of cars out running around. So, you know, people that I worked with saw it at night. So I know that these lights had to see other people driving around, but it just seemed like, and for some reason, I just had this idea. I'm going to try to get, grab their attention. How am I going to do that? I'm going to flash my lights. That's the only thing I had. I had no flare guns or anything crazy, you know, and I started flashing my lights and about, uh, you know, halfway home was when that one light seemed to take an interest and come towards me. And every time it went up, it got, you know, it got bigger. And then it, as it would go down, it would get smaller. And every time it would go back up, then the next time it would go back up, it would get a little bigger. And then it would get smaller, and then it would get a little bigger again. And that's how I thought, is this thing coming towards me? And so when I finally stopped and got out of the car, and that, that's when it, it drifted over my car. So I would have to say that I, I, I kind of hesitated to say it was intelligently controlled because there's a lot of baggage that comes with that phrase, I think. But it wasn't like it was a random you know, balloon with a light on it to just happen to float over my car. I mean, I suppose that's possible, but just the fact that everything kind of lined up in sequence leads me to believe that it was more than just a floating balloon with a light on it. And if it was a floating balloon with a light on it, it was a giant floating balloon with a lot of lights on it. Yeah. Well, I mean, the way you're describing it is that it's getting smaller when it goes down and bigger when it goes up. Is that right? Am I yeah, hearing yeah. Right? And it, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so uh, I'm trying to picture this in my mind, and maybe it's just my mind's backwards or something. But so your conclusion is when it when it was getting bigger, it was getting closer to you, but it was actually going up. I'm I'm trying to draw figure figure out how that all works. Well, I mean, it was kind of at, at first it seemed like it was going just up and down in the distance, but as it would go, when I started flashing my lights and it started getting closer, it seemed like it would come towards me a little bit. And then go back down, and it may, maybe it was sort of like an angle. Like, you know, I guess if you can time it, kind of turn what you're looking at on its side, instead of just going straight up and down. You know, maybe it was coming, it was going at an angle. As it went up, it can kind of angled towards me, and it got bigger. And then as it would go back down, it was it was going back towards where it came from. Okay. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That that that's that's how I envision it. Um, I could be totally wrong, but all I know is that at one point, you know, the lights were probably the size of, I don't know, maybe twice the size of a end of a pencil. And, you know, that, that's how big they were from a distance. So, I mean, it wasn't like they were tiny dots. So it wasn't, I don't want to seem like they were hundreds and hundreds of miles away or anything like that. I mean, they were significantly, significantly bigger than the stars around it, uh, you know, about twice the size of an end of a pencil. Um, but when it came towards me, uh, at some point, it just kept coming towards me. You know, it stopped going back down, quote unquote, back down. And it, it came towards me and went over the car and then just kind of disappeared. So when they would come towards you and then back off and come towards you and back off, during that whole scenario of them coming towards you, were you able to see any detail or was that only the, were you only able to see the detail when it floated over your car? Um, the, the big detail I saw when it went over my car, um, but probably this, I'm guessing it's been so long ago. I'm kind of dating myself, but, um, probably the, the, the two times, the last two times before I actually flew, flew over my car, it was getting big enough that I could tell that it wasn't just a light. There was something there with a light. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, there, there was, a, there, there was a light with some kind of structure there. 
And then by the third or fourth time, it actually, you know, just went over the car. And it's kind of strange now that I think about it, that the lights were, when they were from a distance, they were white, like a regular star. But um, when it when it came over me, it didn't have a light other than those yellow lights. So it, it's it, I, I don't know how to explain that. Um, you know, it's just like three balls of like really bright white light moving around, and then by the time it came over me, it wasn't light at all. It was dark, but had the yellow, the three yellow spotlights and the yellow portholes down the front of the edge of the wing, both wings. Well, well, I mean, to me, the simple thought would be it turned off its light when it got near you. I mean, <laughs> how else do you explain the fact that it's a white light and when it gets near you, the white light's not around at all? Yeah, I, you know, and to be honest, I've told a few people this story and I never even thought about that until now. And I have no idea how to even explain that, but no, that was strange. You said that the when it hovered over you, I think you said it had a yellow like spotlight that didn't come all the way down to the ground and it also had yeah. portholes, two portholes. And did you say the portholes were like yellow color? Is that right? Yeah, um yeah, along the front of the wing there were about five or six portholes, if memory serves. Um I call them portholes. They may have not been windows, they may have just been light. But it reminds me of this you know, the old fashioned subs that you see like the side of the sub and they have those big round windows down the side of the sub. It's kinda of what it looked like, but it was along a leading edge. And um, the right wing, at least, I'm assuming the left was the same way, had five or six of them. And then at the tip of each wing was a spotlight. And when I say spotlight, I don't mean like there was a bulb there. It was just a hole with light shining out of it. And at the tip of this thing, the nose of it, whatever it was, it had a hole with a yellow light shining out of it. And the lights only came down about a third of the way. They never hit the ground that I could see. But, you know, again, it was... It was, you know, the, the uh, moon was out and it was bright, so maybe that's why I didn't see them hit the ground, or maybe they weren't spotlights. They were just really bright lights that happened to be shining in a certain direction. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's, I find it interesting because, I mean, when these things are being flying around out, out in the sky and everything, if they're intelligently flown from the inside, you would think that there's some kind of way for them to see where they're going. I mean, I'm sure there's some, you know, fancy technology and stuff, but the simple, the most simple way to go about it would be having a window. When you say the portholes, just, you know, I always wonder if you could see, you know, on the inside, I guess it, you didn't have that opportunity to really get that great of a look at it. Cause you, you think they're portholes, but they're not, you're not totally sure. So seeing right. inside probably wasn't an option. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was, uh, the the whatever it was was so dark and the light was so bright. I'm not sure if you know if they were you know like I said lights or maybe they were just windows and it was illuminated inside and that light was shining out. I remember looking, tr kind of trying to look and see if I could see them, but it was so high that all I saw was these. You know, I mean there could have been there could have been windows with people sitting in there waving at me for all I know, but I couldn't see them because of. I, I'm guessing because how high I was, and this this whole this whole experience from the time it flew over my car, you know, my car probably lasted maybe eight seconds, so it didn't last very long at all. And I was just kind of like, "What is this thing?" And then it, you know, flew over my car, and I'm like, "What are the other guys doing?" And I looked, and they were doing their their same thing, and it turned back around and was going. I kick myself every time I think about it for actually taking my eyes off of it, 
you know, because I, you know, if I would have watched it, I could have maybe seen the the rear end, the rear end of it a little bit, you know, the backside of it, maybe got some little bit more detail. But my brain just wasn't working at the time. I was trying to figure out, you know, what is this thing? Yeah, and I, that's understandable. I I mean, maybe. I don't know. Like it just seems awfully coincidental that you look away for a split second and then it's gone. And it's almost like it was waiting for you to look away for it to leave. And it's kind of a similar situation. Everybody knows I'm the Bigfoot guy also. And, you know, it's like people say that, you know, they'll be looking at, they'll see a Sasquatch and it's like locking eye to eye. They look away for one second or they blink or something and all of a sudden it's gone and it kind of gives that illusion of it disappearing. And some people come to that conclusion that it disappeared. Um, but it also makes you wonder if these things are just so swift that they move so quickly. Once they see that opportunity to get out of sight, they do so. And I wonder if it's a similar situation with this uh, UFO you saw. I don't know. I know. I know. It's, it's there one second, literally one there one second, and two seconds later it's gone. And you know, I mean, the whole thing lasted less than ten seconds from the time I could actually see it and actually make out the detail until I turned around and it was gone. It was less than ten seconds. So the the nights that leading up to you experimenting with this and you had it hover over your car, because I believe you said that you saw these things before the night you decided to flash your lights and everything. Uh, right. Did were you seeing these things for what twenty thirty minute of a drive? And is is that right? Am I am I picturing this right? You saw these for yeah. Yeah, for probably about two weeks, you know, from the first time we saw them, I say we mean myself and the people I worked with, from the time I saw them to the day it flew over me, plus the two or three days after that, it was probably two, three weeks that we would see these lights. And I actually, I remember at one point earlier on driving down the highway and I could see these lights and they were, they were doing the same patterns except for the coming towards me type thing, you know, the ones on the the ones two were going up and down, and one was going left and right, and I would see these things for the course of a couple of weeks going home on the freeway, and I'm thinking, why isn't anybody talking about this? Because this was kind of bizarre, and it wasn't the fact that you saw three lights. It was up until it flew over my car. The weirdest thing was the fact that the one on the bottom would go across the bottom and then loop back up and then literally disappear, like flash out, and then reflash on the other side of the horizon and do its, its loop again. And I'm thinking, why isn't anybody talking about this? Because this is really bizarre. And I tried to get some people, you know, I work with to talk about it, but they had no interest in it. They just said, oh, yeah, that's weird. And, you know, I was like, well, yeah, it's weird, but why is, you know, on the, why is it on the news or, you <laughs> right. know, something? Why isn't somebody else at work saying what's going on? And, you know, maybe it was on the news. I don't remember seeing anything about it. You know, at the time I was, I was young and, you know, young man with has all kinds of things going through his mind, out doing things all, you know, going out with friends and, you know, you're going, going, going all the time. And, you know, maybe I just, it was on the news and I just didn't see it or didn't notice it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, when you see these things, uh, what was it? Just give me a time, like what, from the time you first start seeing it at night to when you get home, how long is that? Like 20, 30 minutes? Yeah, about depending upon, you know, if I go to the interstate, it's probably 20 minutes. If I go the back way, it's probably 30, 35. But you, you saw these lights no matter which way you went home, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. Okay, so what what I'm thinking is 
did it seem like these lights were traveling in the direction you were going or was it just that they were that far out that you could see them pretty much anywhere? Kind of like the moon where you're driving down the road. It doesn't matter what town you're in. You're going to see the moon, you know? Uh, is it, what, yeah. what would you say to that? Uh, I think, I mean, from what I can remember, they didn't seem to, you know, as I got closer to them, they didn't seem to change in size or activity. Um, until it actually flew over my car. So I'm thinking that they were far enough away that the little, the little bit of distance I did travel wasn't enough to change my perspective on them. Um, you know, until I somehow grabbed that one's attention and then it came, it basically came to me. Okay. And that's, that's a perfect segue into my next question here. You tried getting these things attention by flashing your lights at it. Now, do you know Morse code? Did you do anything similar to that? <laughs> yeah. No, I just you know every you know every time I turned right, which was going west, I would just drive down the road and constantly flash my lights. If I would turn left where I wasn't facing them, I just drove like normal. Um, you know, I mean, it, I, I did it in such a way that it wasn't like flash, flash, flash. It wasn't repeated you know, like that. It wasn't a set pattern. It was, I tried to be as sporadic as possible. Um, I don't know what on earth possessed me to have that thought. You know, what would, if this thing is quote unquote extraterrestrial, why is it going to care if some little guy in a little car is flashing his lights at it? It, it? it sounds kind of silly, but I really wanted to find out what these things were. And that's the, you know, my car was the only thing I had at the time to grab their attention. Well, actually, you know, you know I... And, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was, I was going to say that, you know, I've tried, I tried to do it the, the next two or three days after that, after this happened and they didn't seem to give two hoots. So nothing happened. Yeah. And, and well, that, that's the thing. I mean, you, you did something that I think is actually really logical and the only thing you had was your car headlights, but that's what they are. They're lights in the sky. So naturally by taking your light off of your vehicle, and flashing it in a way that's you know stands out from all the other lights traveling. It's a similar situation where you see stars in the sky and you, you don't think anything of it. They're just steady lights in the sky. They're stars. But what makes you notice something else in the sky is when you see lights in the sky moving around or flashing and doing something erratic. And so from their perspective, they see these cars driving down the highway, no problem. You know, the lights are still the same. And all of a sudden they see this one light flashing its lights and it gets their attention. And it, it seems to me like you got their attention. It came in, scoped you out, left, and had no need to do it any other night because it knew what you were already. So every time you try doing it afterwards, it's like, yeah, we already checked you out the other night. We got no, yeah, exactly. we, we got no interest in you, you know, <laughs> but, yeah, which, which is kind of sad, but <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I really feel like you reversed, uh, reverse engineered the whole situation. You know, like we, we sit here on earth and we see lights in the sky and we're like, wow, look at that light moving around and flashing and doing all these spectacular things. Let's watch it. And that that's great. But you actually kind of reverse engineered the situation and it did what they do and it actually got their attention enough to come check you out. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's definitely something I'll remember forever. I mean, I, don't, I may not remember the year or the exact date, but I remember, you know, the the hashtags on the side of the, the thing and the spotlights and the quietness and the, the pointy tail. And, you know, it's it's something I'll probably never forget. So when looking at the material that it was made out of and everything, would you say it was metal or would you just, you really don't know? 
Well, it didn't sound like metal. Well, it didn't sound like the metal that I that you typically think of. Um, I mean, I don't know how to describe it. It, it was just dark, and it wasn't reflective at all. It, it almost kind of... I know this is kind of cliche, but it was almost darker than the night itself. But there was enough moonlight that you could see texture on it. And that's why I, it made me think of this, the inside of the soundproof rooms, which I don't understand why something's exterior would need to be made like a soundproof room. You know, it doesn't make sense to me, but, you know, I'm, I'm not an engineer or an extraterrestrial or whatever, so I don't know what the logic would be behind it. Um, but I remember seeing it and thinking, well, that reminds me of a... You know, because in high school we had them in our in our music room. I was like, that reminds me of the high school music room. You know, the soundproof room. But um, you know, it, it was. I want to say it was black, but it could have been dark gray or or dark blue. But it was dark, and you know, maybe it seemed like it was darker than the night, quote unquote, because the the moon was so bright. You know, I, I don't know, but it was definitely dark, and it didn't didn't reflect like aluminum or metal you think typically would um and and no noise i mean that's other than the visual i just remember that it had no noise because i remember listening to see if i heard anything and it was just crickets i mean there was no there was not even any wind out it was like a perfect summer night no wind or anything and just crickets i mean i'm sure it's coincidence but i do find it interesting at least that you heard nothing and the texture of it reminds you of soundproof foaming. That's that's well, interesting maybe. to me. I, I never thought of that. I mean, it, it probably. I, never put... I mean, because the soundproof foaming, at least from what I would use it for, I would put it on the inside of a room to protect sound from. Well, you know what? I mean, maybe. Well, you know what? I have to think about that. It's interesting. It's a very interesting point you brought up. I, I'm going to have to do some uh, reading on what soundproof foaming does and just kind of like how it all works because because uh, you got an interesting thing there. Now, I know like when I was in college and I used to mess around with audio production, um, we would do certain things to uh, do, manipulate soundproofing without actually having the foaming. Uh, anything from recording audio in a closet with clothing <laughs> or um you could even put up a bunch of uh egg cartons on the wall it does the same exact thing it dampens the sound the echoing uh yeah but um i don't know it's just i find it interesting that you describe it as soundproof well not foaming but the the shape and texture of it it's right, like right, the soundproof yeah. foaming and you don't hear anything. Now, that's a common trait that a lot of people say they don't hear things when these things fly over them. Um, but for you to describe the texture like that, I just find it interesting. Well, and it wasn't that I, you know, I didn't hear anything. I heard the crickets, and I, I made sure to leave my radio playing with my door open because if the car would have died or the radio would have got staticky, I would have screamed, oh, my God, it's aliens, you know. But none of that happened. And I remember thinking, well, that didn't happen. You know, like everybody, like everybody, quote unquote, says it should, right? So I thought, well, what is this thing? Because my car is fine, the radio never went out. I hear crickets and whatever was playing on the radio at the time, and so it was just, it was bizarre that it, you know, it was something that I didn't, I expected to do like a Betty Barney Hill type of thing, you know, where the car dies, the radio goes out, or whatever, and that didn't happen, and that kind of threw me a little bit too. 
because that's not what I was expecting. Well, I think what would have thrown you even more is if your car actually did die. <laughs> I, I probably would have freaked out then. I'm like, oh gosh, what, what am I going to do now? Yeah, that would have not been good. Uh, hindsight 2020, I guess. Right. Um, so you know, it, it wasn't something I was expecting. So it's a little sidetrack here, but um, what do you know about Wright Patterson? Uh, well, um, I, I went to an air show there once. Uh, which was was kind of cool. Um, other than that, I have um, two friends. Um, one I haven't uh, I, I've been friends with for you know early '90s maybe, um, and he was in the army. Um, and he told me a bunch of stories about how he had uh, really high government clearance in the army. Um, he was trained to. Uh, to speak of or to talk in certain accents in different parts of the country. Um, he told me that um, if he um, was ever, um, I don't know what, how I'd say that, but outed for lack of a better term um, about his stuff, his time in the army, he was report back to his you know commanding officer, whatever that was. Um, and we talked about this kind of stuff because it was all this was happening right about the time that X Files came out, and uh, I was talking to him about it, and um, I asked him what he knew about Wright Pat, and he said that he doesn't know what is there exactly, but out of all the paperwork that he has seen, he said he knows there's something there that they don't want us to know about. Uh, he did say that he he doesn't know for sure what it is, whether it's alien or not alien or you know, whatever. But he said he knows that there is something there and the government doesn't want us to know about it. I have another friend who is actually a, a preacher's kid. We went to the church together and he's very trustworthy. Um, probably one of the honest, most honest guys you'll ever meet. Uh, he was in, he joined the, the air force and he was a military policeman at the time. And he was an MP at Wright Pat. And we talked about it, and he said that he didn't have clearance to enter that that area hangar, I don't know, hangar 18 or 23, I forget whatever number it is. Um, but they told him, you know, you don't have access to be there, and if you do step foot on there, we will shoot you and kill you, so don't do it. And he said, okay. And he never he never went that out that direction. Wow. Um, so, you know, and if if anybody is to be believed, it would be him. You know, he's a very up, uh, upright guy. So, yeah. Now I think yeah. if I remember correctly, Oh, how do I say this? How do I phrase this? Cause everybody talks about hangar 18. From what I understand though, the official wording is that there is no hangar 18 but I think that's a technicality yeah. because I think that there is a building 18, which I think is described to be underground and you can actually get there from hangar 23. I think that's how it, it was laid out to me once. Uh, does that sound similar to you, to you or not? Yeah. I mean, I, I've, you know, I don't know, you know, personally, but some of the stuff I've seen and read that sounds about right. Um, there was, there, there's a hangar, but not a hangar, but it's kind of a hangar type of thing that they had going on there. Now, I don't know about the connecting from one to the other. Like you mentioned, I never heard that, but that doesn't mean it's not true. But I did hear at some point that um, 
there is a Hangar 18, but not really, but sort of. You know, it's it's very it's very government red tape technicality wording. I think is what they like to do. Yeah, no, because I mean, I've I've heard. I mean, obviously, I've never been on the base, and I don't know. I don't know a ton about it, but from what I understand, is pretty much there's not a whole lot of buildings above ground that could house any kind of significant aircraft of any real size. Now, I could be totally off on that. Uh, but from what I understood was that Hangar 23 is where the crafts or planes or whatever you want goes in, and then they can move it underground to Building 18 where they do their you know, work on things that they don't want to be seen by anybody. Uh, and from what I heard, I heard there's like these really big generators, air conditioner kind of generators above ground, but there's no buildings that it goes to th- making people think that it actually goes underground to facilitate a building that is out of sight, but underground. Um, I, I, it's such a, it's such a fascinating thing to me with the whole right pat situation. Um, I wish I knew more about it. I know that, like I said to you earlier, uh, I know that they used Wright Pat before because I think Wright Patterson was originally called Wright Field, which is where the uh, yeah, the Wright so. brothers actually worked and did their stuff. And then the military, I think, after World War One or during World War One, came in and took it over and just never left. But um, from what I understand, uh, for a long time, Wright Pat was a place where they did a lot of reverse engineering on whether it's, you know, Russian aircraft, Nazi aircraft, or whatever it is, they reversed engineered a lot of things there so they knew how to defeat it so they could produce a weapon that would take down whatever they re- reverse engineered. And so the whole idea of Area 51 crash to being taken to right pat uh would be would make sense underneath the traditional mindset of this is where they do a lot of reverse engineering and why would they not reverse engineer spacecraft that came from another world, you know? Right. I also heard that um, that they took the uh, Kecksburg crash there as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I've heard that as well. Uh, I think, oh man, I'm going to butcher this. I think that there's a number floating around out there that they have housed up to 18 extraterrestrial bodies there, theoretically. Um, and obviously there weren't 18 extraterrestrial bodies at the Area 51 crash, leading you to believe that they have collected other things and beings from other crashes. Right. And I think you're right on the crash. I, I think that's one of them here in PA. Um, yeah, but I'm not sure. That's, I, I mean, like I said earlier, I, I wish I knew more about right pat than i do but that's just some of the uh basic stuff that i know maybe one of these days i'll have somebody on the show that actually knows a ton about it but i'm not that guy so <laughs> me, me either but um man listen that's a really fascinating encounter you had there and uh the fact that it's so close to right pat is definitely intriguing you know what it is it's it's that it's so close to right pat and it happens so much over a certain period of time. It's not like it was just a once and done thing. It was consistent. And it makes you wonder if it had something to do with Wright Pat and some kind of maybe experiments they were doing. I don't know, but I I do find it fascinating. That's kind of what I thought. Cause if it was, if it was, you know, aliens 
um, I don't think they'd hang out for a couple weeks, you know, and sightsee the same area. I mean, I don't know if you've been to Dayton, Ohio, but it's not that fabulous, you know. So it's not like there's a lot of <laughs> stuff to see and do there, you know. So that's why it made me think that it's, you know, it was some type of, um, you know, test they were doing. I, I mentioned to you earlier, uh, about 10 years before this happened, uh, my family and I went to, we going to the mall and it was, uh, I think it was a Saturday or Sunday evening and it was dark out and uh, we were in the old mall in Springfield, which is even a small, another small town between the town I lived in and Dayton. It was, that's kind of in the middle of my town in Dayton. And we were walking into the mall and I hear these, these jets flying over and I looked up and there was a black triangle flying overhead with a jet flanking each side of it. And they were seriously low, um, low enough that you could actually see the colors of the jets. And I thought, Oh my goodness, that's, that's an alien, you know, it's alien spacecraft, you know, it's, it's something you've never seen before. And then several, several years later, they started talking about the stealth bomber and I remember seeing it and I said, Oh my God, that's what I saw. I actually saw, a stealth bomber flying over Springfield being flanked by two uh, jet fighters before it was released to the public. And I thought that was, you know, that was pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. And I mean, that should tell you, uh, so I'm assuming Springfield is not too far from Wright Pat. I mean, that, that should tell you the kind of level yeah. of, of things that they're doing there. The fact that you saw that before they came out with it clearly to me, it means that that was at Wright Pat. And, uh, if they're building things like that at Wright Pat, then, there's a lot of, let's just say there's a lot of technology there, a lot of technology there. So, uh, why don't you, why don't you walk us into this Hatman story you told me about? Now you said to me that you were listening to episode three when Lindsay was sharing her encounter with the Hatman. Uh, what did you experience? Well, I thought it was funny because I just sent you the message, and the next day I was listening to that episode and her description. I, I listened to it at work and her description, I actually stopped and said, Oh my God, that's exactly what I saw. So, um, I was at work, um, at this, at this same place and I was working second shift still. And it was a new, a new, a uh, new company. The building was, was pretty new. You know, it was like two years old. Um, at the time it was uh, state of the art. They made, uh, we made, um, automotive parts, um, cause Ohio is, you know, really big with Honda and that type of thing. And, um, and the building was shaped, uh, it was shaped sort of like a, a, a giant a giant rectangle on the front section was the front office. And then the front part of the building was the pr- two production lines. And then in the middle was the paint department where they did uh, uh, electrostatic e-coating. And you'd put the parts on and they would, you put them on in the mornings and they would run eight, 12 hours into the back of the building and uh, do their cycle. And when you came in the next day, they'd be out ready for you to take them off and put more stuff on. And uh, I worked, uh, it was a Japanese owned company and I worked uh, in the quality department. And at night after about six o'clock or so, all the engineers and everybody from first shift, all the lucky ones that got an eight to five job, they got to go home. And uh, I was, um, my office was in what we called the lab and it was, basically right smack in the middle of, of the building. And uh, because I was a Japanese-owned company, we had um, a, a big machine that you'd put the parts in, and it would test amperage and draw and, and dimensions, and you know, TB and H directions and all kinds of stuff. It was a giant check machine. And uh, because it was in the 90s, everything was stored on uh, uh, disks. 
um, one step up from the floppy disk. I remember when the when the jump drives came out, we were all excited. You know, so it kind of dates me even more. <laughs> uh, but part of my part of my job was to, um, you know, this machine was Japanese. Everything was in Japanese, and uh, part of my job was to, uh, at one time, to format 500 of these disks. And so on my desk, I had my computer that I used. And then to my right, on a little elevator, or on a little elevation, elevated platform was what I called a Japanese computer. And everything was in Japanese. And when I had to format these disks, I had a, they wrote down my instructions. You press this button, you click this, you press that button, whatever. And when the, when, we, when I wasn't doing that, the computer was turned off. So I'm on, a, I'm on my computer uh, this night and I am the only one in the lab. It's probably, I don't know, eight o'clock, eight thirty, nine o'clock, something like that at night. Night's night almost over. And uh, as I'm doing my stuff on my computer, I look over and in the um, reflection of the monitor of the Japanese computer, which is turned off, there is a figure reflecting in this monitor, which would mean it would be off behind me to my right. And I remember that it was a tall person um, he had like what looked like a trench coat. He had a top hat like Abraham Lincoln, um, and he had his collar pulled up around his face, where all you could see was the bridge of his nose and his eyes. You couldn't see anything else. And I remember looking at it and going, "That's not right." And I packed all my stuff up and I went to the front office and finished out my night. Um, <laughs> later I love that the night. <laughs> Well, I, you know, I'm sure I said some other things that aren't radio appropriate, but um, later that night, uh, I'm driving home, and again, it's, it's summertime still, and I'm going home the back way, and I've got the windows down. I'm driving like about 35, 40 miles an hour, just enjoying a nice summer night, and I look in my rearview mirror, and that dude, for lack of a better term, is in, the, in my back seat looking at me in the mirror, and I stopped. And I got out and, you know, when you open your door, the light comes on, right? So I got out and for some reason, I opened up all four of my doors thinking that it, it was the light was going to be four times as bright, I guess. I don't know what I was thinking. I was just kind of in a panic because there's some dude in the back of my car. And uh, I mean, it was just real quick and I, I never saw him again. Um, but when I was listening uh, to your show and when she was saying that, I was like, man, that's exactly what I saw with the, the hat and the color. And he was tall, kind of tall and lanky. Um, I guess he'd best be described as a hot Abraham Lincoln, you know, with the top hat. And he was very long and thin. Um, I couldn't see anything from like the chest. All I saw was the chest up. I didn't see anything from the chest down. So I don't know if he was floating or he was standing there, or if he was doing the jig. I don't know what he was doing, but, you know, just from the chest up. Um, and that, you know, the, the whole, I'm not sure if that happened be, before the whole, you know, thing flying over my car. I'm not sure. I don't remember which happened first, but I do remember the guy in the back of my car in the middle of the country at like midnight was a lot scarier than the thing flying over top of my car in the country at midnight. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, when you were at work and you saw it in the computer monitor, was there a lot of people around or was it just kind of you? It was me in the lab, and I was the, you know, everybody else was up front in the front of the of the building. Um, there was probably, I don't know, it was it was a second shift crew, so it was probably maybe 
no more than two dozen people in the entire building. And most of them was up on the production line doing their doing their thing. And it, I was, and that was another thing that was disturbing is that I was the only one in the lab. In the lab, you had to have a code to get in. You had one of those punch codes. So you had to know the punch to get in. And I was the only one that knew that. If somebody wanted to come in, they had to knock on the door. And there were, there were two entries to the lab. One of them was always locked. And the other one was the punch code. And, you know, I'd come and go in the lab as I, as I needed using the punch code. And, you know, I'm not, don't, I don't remember how long I was in there. I was probably in there for probably 30 or 40 minutes before I happened to look up. And there's this, there's this guy in the monitors kind of just staring at me. And it wasn't necessarily, you know, it wasn't a sinister, a sinister type of thing. It was a more like, hey, how you doing? You know, type of thing, which was maybe if it was a little bit more sinister, it wouldn't have bothered me so much. But it was more of a um, I see you type of that. That's the kind of vibe I got was I see you and I, now I know you see me type of thing. Wow. So you actually saw features. You didn't just see a shadow figure. You actually saw something that was actually staring at you. Well, yeah. And like I said, I, you could, I couldn't see his mouth. I could just see the bridge of his nose and his eyes because he had the top hat what I call a top hat. I don't, I'm not sure what the correct term for it is. It's right. like an Abraham Lincoln type hat. And he had his collar. And I remember his, I remember his collar was higher in the back than it was in the front. So when he flipped it up, it kind of came down at an angle just enough. So you couldn't see his mouth or his, the tip of his nose to see the bridge of his nose and his eyes. And I think that's all I saw other than, you know, the coat, his eyes, the bridge of his nose and his hat. No, I didn't see any hair. He didn't move, didn't say anything, you know, it was just one of those, I see you and now you see me type things. Yeah. That's when you were in your car, I, did you say this was the same night that you saw it at work? Yeah, it was the same night. So twice in one night you saw once at work, once in the back of your car. So to me, clearly this isn't something that happened at work and stayed at work. This is something that kind of followed you. Is that the sense that you got too? Uh, yeah, I guess, but it was just that one time. I never saw it. I've never seen it since then. Right. But at, at that one time, I mean, it, it seems like it, it, it was there f- aware of you. I wouldn't want to say for you or anything like that, but it was aware of you because you saw it at work and then you saw it in your own personal car. Um, and when you got out of the car, you opened up the doors, you didn't see it back there. Nothing like that. It was just in the mirror. No, I think I yelled, oh my, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I slammed on the brakes, got out of the car and opened the doors. And that was it. I never saw it. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't know if it was this something that like a, like a, a memory and like a, you know, I don't know if I just, I just looked in there and the shadows were doing something weird and it just made me think of it. And it freaked me out because I was sufficiently freaked out at work when that happened. Uh, you know, so I was still a little uneasy on the way home, but I wasn't really thinking about it, but I'm the type of person, you know, I would, when I learned to drive, I, I always check my mirrors, you know, every, you know, so many seconds I'm checking my mirrors and it's just a habit. And I just happened to look back and review mirror and I thought, Oh my, you know, whatever. <laughs> and, uh, by the time I had stopped and opened my door and the light came on, it wasn't there anymore. I never saw, I mean, I probably checked my mirror more on the way home that night than, than I ever have in my life because, you know, I didn't want it to come back or didn't want to see it again. Um, but it was just that one time. And it, you know, I got the, I got the impression that I don't, know, I don't want to, I don't want to give it any, in, any intelligence, but I got the impression that it just wanted me to know that 
it, it wanted to know that I knew it was there type of thing. And I don't know if it was just kind of jerking me around and wanted to freak me out or if there was a reason for it, but it was just two times that one night and never again. Wow. That's, that's quite, that's quite something, man. That really is. I, uh, I can't imagine looking in my rear view mirror and seeing something like that. It, it reminds me of when I was a kid and I can't remember what movie this was. I was probably like in seventh grade. Uh, I want to say the movie, um, have you ever seen the movie? I know what you did last summer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to say it was that movie, but it's been so long. I, I just can't remember there. The opening scene, the opening, the opening scene of a movie that I saw when I was a young kid Somebody's driving down the road and they look in their rear, rear view mirror and somebody sits up in their car and chops their head off. And I, that's the first thing that I think of when you said that. <laughs> I mean, because, because of that movie to this day, well, I can't say to this day, I think of it, but for the longest time after I was already driving and stuff like that, I would look in my mirror before I leave, I would check my back seats and I would actually take my hand and push my hand around the back seat just to make sure there's nobody ducked down down there or something like that because it just it was like embedded in the back of my brain to check the back seat before I pull out because I didn't want that happening to me. Uh, that's just a... Uh, I, I, w- I was never that brave. I would just look and not feel. I was good with that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just... I was like, man, before I start driving this car... I need to know if there's something back there because I don't want to lose my head. <laughs> you know, it's like it's just one of those things where it's like psychological almost. You know, um, that's fascinating. Though. That's absolutely fascinating. You know, before we get out of here, I would like for you to share the werewolf situation with your family. <laughs> it's nothing major, well, I know, but I just would like for you to share it with the audience. Um. This is something that I learned about a few years ago. I was watching that uh, sci-fi paranormal witness show, and it was called, I think it was called The London Werewolf. And uh, that's the town I was born in. I was born in London, Ohio. And um, I watched the episode about a guy who basically was supposed to be a werewolf and kind of like, I say terrorized, you know, kind of spied on this lady in in her house in the country. And when they said it was London, Ohio, I said, oh, wow, that's kind of cool. I never heard this story. So... Um, I mentioned it to my mom and, um, she's like, oh yeah, Dale, who's my, my stepdad, um, that's a distant relative, relative of his. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? You know, I, why have I not, why have I not heard this until now? Because that's kind of important. Um, but evidently my stepdad's grandmother was, I don't know, a cousin or a niece or something like that to this guy. And he was supposed to be a werewolf, and it's kind of, it's really kind of a creepy show. If people haven't seen it, they should watch it. It's um, a paranormal witness episode. Um, you know, the guy that they were in the uh, it was winter time, and she would see these yellow eyes looking at her, and then the husband went out and saw tra- animal tracks that kind of turned into like feet, and went into this guy's house. I won't ruin it for everybody, but it's it's a really neat show, and. What uh, when I watched it, what really struck me is that the, the this guy worked at a tire place in the town I'm from, and I actually bought tires when I was in high school from my car from this place. Um, the guy was dead by then. I think he died in the early '80s, early mid '80s. Um, but it was just, it was just really kind of cool. I've always had a fascination fascination with werewolves, and they always scare the living crap out of me. Uh, but uh, I, I was very fascinated by it and the fact that through marriage and kind of related to this guy. 
which is kind of kind of bizarre. And I guess he's buried in the cemetery there, some some place. Um, I think his, if I remember right, his last name was Barnhart or Barnhart or something like that. But I, you know, I don't live there anymore. Uh, but it was just really interesting. And you know, my mom didn't seem to think that was a big deal, and she's heard the story before when she was growing up. And I told my mother about things flying over my car and she didn't seem to think that was a big deal she's like oh i've heard about things landing out in that out in that area in the field when i was growing up i'm like why why have you not been telling me these things you know i grew up here and i know <laughs> these things it's been really interesting but um yeah just really a, a bizarre it's a bizarre little little town i think um last last second had like ten thousand people roughly in it you know little little country farm town just weird yeah that is weird. I found that interesting though. When you said this to me, I was like, well, I got to have you share that with the audience. Cause that's just funny. Not funny, but interesting. Yeah. But, uh, Mike, I really appreciate you coming on. And before we get out of here, I just want to ask you one question with your experience with the UFO on your most basic knowledge of things. What does your gut tell you these things are? Well, I, there's so many, you know, reports that I can't speak for all of them. Um, I think a lot of people just misidentify things. Um, in regards to what I saw, I, I don't think it was uh, little green men. I think it was some type of military, something military. Um, why it should have interested me in my car if it was military, I don't know. Maybe the guys were just having a a good day in mind to mess with somebody. Uh, you know, I don't know. Um, but I've heard people say before that, you know, if there's a million reports of extraterrestrials and only one of them is actually legitimately, legitimately true, then there's something to it. You know, all it takes is one for it to be something important. So and what I saw, I think was probably just some type of military exercise uh, especially considering where it was at and what, you know, what I saw when I saw the stealth fighter before it was released to the public. Um, but that's not to say what other people have seen and experienced isn't something more, more interesting and legitimate. So, uh, I probably, probably would never know, but, um, I still, you know, I still look up and watch the stars and try to hope to see, I see something, but so far, nothing but I'll take what I that one that one instance is good enough for me for now. Yeah. That's wise of you. I mean, these things I do believe that these things could be multiple different fall under multiple different categories. Uh but what you saw the the fact that you saw it so close, you got a good look at it and it is really close to right pat. Um I would lean towards what you conclude to as well. Uh, but like you said, I mean, it only takes one for something else to be real as well. So, uh, it's very interesting and I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your thoughts and sharing your encounter stories with us. And, uh, you know, like I say to everybody, if you ever have anything else you'd like to share, feel free to come back on. Great. I appreciate it. I, you know, I'm a new listener to the show and I've, uh, binged all of them, I think now. So, um, I got, I got, got you bookmarked and I check every couple of days to see if there's a new one. I really enjoy it. That's awesome, man. I really appreciate that. And, uh, well, I hope you keep listening. All right. <laughs> I will. Thanks a lot, man. Have a good night. All right, man. Right on. Take care. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it as always. 
Hey, if you get a chance, go ahead and go to iTunes or whatever podcast you listen to the show on. Hit subscribe, rate, and review the show because that definitely helps us rise in the charts. So more people are exposed to the show just like you. If you want, go ahead and hit me up on social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook, the Facebook page. You can give it a like. And on Twitter, the Twitter handle is T Confessionals. That's at T Confessionals. And if you have an encounter that you'd really like to share on the show, go ahead and send me an email at theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the connection section, and you can reach me that way as well. If you guys want, go ahead and check out ChautauquaLakeBigfootExpo.com for their tickets and how to go about getting involved in this Bigfoot Expo that I'll be speaking at. And finally, I'm glad that you guys listened to the show on September 23rd, 2017, and you made it through. The world hasn't ended yet, which means I'll see you right here next week on The Confessionals.
If you want, go ahead and hit me up on social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook, the Facebook page. You can give it a like. And on Twitter, the Twitter handle is T Confessionals. That's at T Confessionals. T Confessionals. That's at T Confessionals. Let me give you a little tip from a cheerleader. Be present. Be Confessionals. At T Confessionals. T Confessionals. That's at T Confessionals. T Confessionals. That's at T Confessionals.